Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. I, I guess I didn't do too bad of a job last time. I, you had me back. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I wear a lot of different hats during the week. And uh, the college ministry, Rosho Christi, uh, is an apologetics ministry where, uh, if you're not familiar with that term, it's uh, the branch of Christian theology that spends time uh, giving logical arguments for believing in God and following the Bible. Uh, so I do that some days. Other days I'm at Timothy Christian School, and then I have a little church plant as well that I've been pastoring for about a year now. It's just a handful of us. Um, during a pandemic is not a good time to start a church, but we, we knew it would just stay small and be small for a while, and we're okay with that. Uh, but I appreciate you inviting me to uh, join you today. It's always nice to see other brothers and sisters in Christ and join with you in worship. So, um, so the Christian faith, as Christians, we, we actually have a belief in, in God that is unlike any other faith. And there's, there's quite a few things that make us unusual to any other faith system, but one is our actual belief about the actual nature of God, which we believe God is a trinity, right? So within the one being that is God, there is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this makes us utterly unique to any other faith, even other monotheistic faiths like Judaism and Islam. Um, but we believe that within the one divine being, there are three personalities. Um, so here's one way I explain it. Um, if you think about it, this podium is made of podium stuff, right? The stuff of podiums, right? Um, but there's no person. There's no personhood to this podium. Now, I'm made of human stuff, but I have personality. Now, those of you who, who've known me a bit, you say, well, you don't have much personality, but, but I have some sort of personality, and I have personhood. So within the divine stuff, the divine substance, there are three personalities. Another way to put it is there's three consciousnesses within the one divine essence. And there's quite a few lame arguments against the Trinity. Uh, one is uh, that the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. Now, my favorite response to that is there's another word that Christians use more than Trinity that doesn't appear in the Bible either. And that word is Bible. Uh, so I've never heard anybody argue that we shouldn't believe in the Bible because the word Bible does not appear in the Bible. Uh, so yes, the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible, but the concept does. And we see a big clue of that right in John 1.1, right? That says, in the beginning was the Word, and here the Word is referring to the Son, right? God the Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here, the Son, the Word, is both with God and was God. And we're told a little farther down in John that the Word became flesh. The, this, this person of the Trinity, the Son, became flesh. And in the book of Hebrews, we're told that he, for a little while, made himself lower than the angels. He became like us in every way, even facing temptation, but never sinning, unlike us. Right? Um, 
He lived an authentic human life. He depended wholly during his earthly life. He depended wholly on the, fa on the Father and the Holy Spirit as we're to depend on them. And he became the founder and perfecter of our faith. And through his life and death, we can enter into correct relationship with the Trinitarian God. But today I'm actually going to talk about another person of the Trinity. I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, and I believe the Holy Spirit, I often refer to the Holy Spirit as the neglected person of the Trinity. Because I've been in quite a few churches that never talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of churches treat the Holy Spirit almost like the neglected middle child of the family. And I was a middle child, so uh, I can relate to that. Um, but and in a way, if you think about it, it's kind of understandable, right? Like a father and a son are much more relatable to us than this mysterious spirit, right? And, and I'll, I'll say this, at least nowadays we tend to call him the Holy Spirit and not the Holy Ghost, because I, I can't imagine being called a ghost helps anybody's public relations um, image. I can imagine a lot of kids being very freaked out at night when their parents say, well, pray to the Holy Ghost, good night, and turn off the lights, right? So in some ways it's a little understandable because the Holy Ghost is mysterious. Um, but there's other churches, though, that unfortunately have gone to a more biblical, you know, another uh, extreme uh, where I would say they are chasing miracles. They're trying to manufacture uh, supernatural signs. And I surely believe today that the Holy Spirit does do miracles and can do miracles. Uh, but I don't see anything in Scripture about us having to try to manufacture miracles. And some of these churches have gone to such an extreme, I would say they're not even uh, within biblical bounds anymore, that they've gone more into Eastern mysticism. Uh, I watched a video of, of one church, and a young lady got up and spoke about the Holy Spirit being her friend and being like the genie from Aladdin. Uh, so let's get that right out in the open, right? Jesus is not your homeboy. The, the Holy Spirit is not a genie, a blue genie from Aladdin. Uh, but we also don't want to make the mistake, right, we, uh, of simply ignoring the Holy Spirit, right? We want to stay in biblical bounds and have a good understanding of the Holy Spirit. Um, now, every time I think I have an original idea or uh, someone much smarter and cooler than me thinks of it long before me. So I thought I was being pretty edgy calling the, the Holy Spirit the neglected you know, person of the Trinity, but Francis Chan, who's much smarter and cooler than me, has a book called The Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. It's a good book, I recommend it. Uh, he says this in it. He says, if the Holy Spirit moves, nothing can stop him. If he doesn't move, we will not produce genuine fruit. No matter how much effort or money we expend, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. We are not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and presence of the Spirit of God. There is no such thing as a real believer who does not have the Holy Spirit or a real church without the Spirit. Let me read that again. There is no such thing as a real believer who does not have the Holy Spirit or a real church without the Spirit. Right? So as God's people, we cannot neglect the Holy Spirit. And of course, the best place to really get to know the Holy Spirit in Scripture is the book of Acts. Um, so we, we, uh, we're looking at Acts 1, 3 through um, 8 today. So let me just read it to you again. I know we just heard it. 
but it says he presented himself, this is speaking of Jesus after his resurrection, he has presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they said to him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come into the, in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let me point out a little detail here. This is just a little nerdy detail, and I get excited about these things. Is The very next verse tells us this all took place on the Mount of Olives. If you go to the book of Ezekiel, when Ezekiel has a vision of God's glory leaving the temple, it goes out to the east and rests on the Mount of Olives, on a mountain to the east. And then when he has a vision later of the glory of God returning, it comes from the east. And then when you turn to the book of uh, Zechariah, he says this in 14.4. He's speaking about the coming day of the Lord, and he literally says this, His feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. Right? That's cool, right? That's, that's the sort of stuff that gets me, uh, my nerdiness, excited. Um, but you've got to feel kind of bad for the disciples here, right? You can imagine the roller coaster of emotions they've been going through. So they've spent three years with Jesus believing he is the Messiah, which he is, but then he's crucified, right? So all-time low. Ooh, they, we put our faith in the wrong guy. Three days later, rises again, right? Our Messiah cannot be killed. This is amazing. When are you going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel? Mind your own business. Ascends, right? <laughs> right? You, you got to imagine they're like, did he just tell us to mind our own business? Where is he going, right? So I feel kind of bad for these guys because their emotions must be all over the place. But what, what do the angels say, right? The angels appear next to him. They basically say, you know, what are you doing? Like, what are you standing around for? You heard him go, right? Um, go, go wait. Wait for what, right? The promise. What, what promise is he referring to? So if we go back to John's gospel, in John 14, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, and he will dwell with you and be in you. So they're to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. And then on a day, a, a harvest celebration, which also has another name, Pentecost, right? Pentecost actually means 50 because it takes place 50 days after the Passover. Uh, so it, it's, again, it's, it's amazing. You go into the Old Testament, you see that G, God has ordained this date, has marked it in the Old Testament um, as an important date. All the males in the Jewish uh, community are to be in Jerusalem at this time. So Jerusalem is packed for this festival. 
and the Holy Spirit comes. It fills his followers, and a miracle happens. They speak a language. They speak languages that they didn't know before. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up and proclaims Jesus' victory over death and that he is Lord and Savior. He quotes Joel, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? And 3,000 people are saved. So if you don't mind me, I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit. As Protestant Christians, we, we mark two important days out of the year, right? We mark the birth of Christ, and we mark Resurrection Sunday. Now, I have no problems with that. Um, Bible doesn't specifically say we should celebrate those days once a year, but it also doesn't forbid it. So I have absolutely no problem because these are big deals. We should mark a day and celebrate these days. And technically, every Sunday is a resurrection celebration, just to be clear, right? Um, but... If we are going to mark God with us on Christmas and we're going to mark the resurrection, which again, these are extremely important events, we should mark Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost was just a few weeks ago and very few Protestant churches I know of even marked that day or even brought it up uh, as far as I know. Uh, so again, if we're going to celebrate Jesus's birth, which was God with us. I mean, Pentecost is a big deal. This is a Holy Spirit coming and dwelling within Jesus's followers, right? So, so Christmas is God with us. Pentecost is God with us again, right? Because the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in us. And this is a very big deal. Now, just to be clear, the Holy Spirit is a person, right? The Holy Spirit is not an it. So let me ask you this question. Can you grieve an impersonal thing? Can you grieve an it, right? Um, give you an example. We've had this dumb toaster for years and the thing just burns toast. Okay, so, and I don't know why, my wife and I have lived with this toaster for years and you put the toast in it and you have to sit there and watch it. And then you pop it and it's like, eh, it needs to be cooked more. You put it down, you're watching it, you get distracted, wash the dish, come back, it's burnt. It's all burnt, right? Now I have kids, the kids want waffles in the morning, I put it in. Of course, the kids don't allow you to focus on anything for more than like 10 seconds. So I get distracted, waffles are burnt, right? So finally, I don't know why we've lived with this for so long. I just said like two weeks ago, oh, I'm throwing away this dumb toaster and I'm going to the store and buying a new toaster. Now, did I grieve the toaster? Was the toaster like, oh man, Steve, don't throw me away. I've been part of your family for so long. No, you can't grieve a toaster. Now, the toaster did grieve me, right, because of the amount of bread I wasted in that thing. It did grieve me. So my point is, is that you cannot grieve impersonal things, but scripture tells us we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, how does Jesus talk about the Holy Spirit? Let me read you an example from John 16:8. He says, he will I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, God does not have a physical gender, but his preferred pronouns, if you will, are male. Um, I don't know why, but the more important point is that God is a he, not an it, right? The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. And then look how the Holy Spirit speaks about himself. Acts 13, 2, he says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work 
to which I have called them. Right? So the Holy Spirit is an I, a he. He is not an impersonal force. He is not the, the force that uh, Yoda uses to, to raise spaceships out of swamps. Uh, he is a personal being, a he. And he is fully God. How does Jesus tell us to baptize? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Right? If I said to you, hey guys, we're having a baptism next week and we're going to celebrate and we're going to baptize these new believers in the name of the Father, Son, and Harry Barr, you guys would get upset, right? And, and Harry would get upset. And I, I'm pretty sure Harry would say, I think you're done preaching, Steve. Time to come down. We need to have a talk with you, right? Because that's blasphemy, right? We, you, you cannot put someone on the same level as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yet Jesus puts them all on the same level because they are a fully and completely God. Also in the book of Acts, we have this. Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And just a few short lines later, he says, you have not lied to man, but to God. Right? So we see in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is a he, a person, and fully and completely God, along with the, the Father and the Son. So the Holy Spirit is God with us. But here's the thing, not just God with us, but God in us. The Holy Spirit is God in us. Let's look back at John 14 again. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And that word there, translated helper, could be an advocate or intercessor. It literally means someone who works on another's behalf. So Jesus says, I will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Right? Now, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit within us is our seal, is our guarantee, is our down payment of eternal life. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 6, 18 through 19, tells us that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I came to Christ, I was uh, 31 years old. Um, not only was I trying to figure out what it meant to be a Christian at that age, but I also was trying to figure out what it meant to be single because I had just been out of an eight-year relationship, a, a romantic and sexual relationship for eight years. So I was not just trying to figure out how to be a Christian as an adult man, but also how to be single as a Christian adult man. And I was reading the Bible one day and I came across this verse and it was jarring, right? He says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. And I tell you, man, that, that was jarring, that was convicting, but it was also extremely uplifting that the Holy Spirit dwells inside me and therefore I need to honor God with my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, I think I, I, I don't think I did. I taught on Romans 8 last time I joined you. Um, and I love this. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Right? So the Holy Spirit within us testifies to us that we belong to God. Here, let me ask you another question. I bet nobody sees this question coming. Can Christians be demon-possessed? Again, I bet nobody saw that question coming. <laughs> but uh, I, took a, I went to Southern Baptist Seminary by, his, by no means a charismatic uh, church, but I took, or uh, seminary, but I took a spiritual warfare class. 
and the, the professor presented this question to us. Can Christians be demon-possessed? Because we do see demon possession in the Gospels. The conclusion we came to was no, because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, a demon cannot. I mean, demons can attack us, they can harass us, but we belong to the Holy Spirit, right? We are Holy Spirit-possessed. Uh, so the big idea, obviously, I'm, I'm trying to hammer home, is that we belong to God. The Holy Spirit testifies to us that we belong to God. So look at something else Jesus said. This is in John 16, 7 through 8. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I'm using some discipling material with some um, guys. And we were looking at this passage, and it said this in the, in the book. It said, it is more important to be filled with the Holy Spirit than to be in the physical presence of Jesus. Okay, let me read that again, because I read it about like 10 times when I first came across this. It is more important to be filled with the Holy Spirit than to be in the physical presence of Jesus. Now, again, that, that was kind of like unsettling. Is that right? Um, but what does Jesus say? He says, it is to your advantage that I go away, because then the Holy Spirit will come to dwell with you. So I'm still processing that one, but I think it has, to something, it has something to do with, in his bodily form, Jesus can't be with all of us physically, bodily, but the Holy Spirit is in us and with us at all times. So God is with us and God is in us, right? The helper, the intercessor, the, the advocate is in us at all times, guiding and empowering us. So the next question is, is what is he empowering us to do? So let me ask another question to lead us to the answer to that question. Um, after the resurrection, but before the ascension, what did Jesus talk about? So for 40 days he spent time with his disciples teaching them after the resurrection but before the ascension what did he talk about so let's go back to acts 1 verse 3 it says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of god so he spends 40 days teaching to them about the kingdom of god so let me read the rest, and then we'll come back to that. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Did you, you notice that now? Right? The disciples, if you notice in the Gospels, when you go back and read them, you notice they often don't get what Jesus is talking about. And here we just told Jesus spent 40 days talking about the kingdom of God. And what do they want to talk about? The kingdom of Israel. Moving on, he says to them, it is not for you to know the seasons, the times or seasons that the Father is fixing in your authority. So in New Jersey terms, he basically said, mind your own business, right? And then he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus spends 40 days talking about the kingdom of God, and he says, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the disciples ask, well, what about the kingdom of Israel? 
And he says, well, don't worry about it. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to empower you. Empower to do what? To be his witness, right? To spread the kingdom of God across the globe. So the disciples are still focused on Israel. Jesus is focused on the whole globe coming into the kingdom of heaven. What did Jesus tell us to pray, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. So Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to empower, empower his people for what? For ministry, right? For establishing the kingdom of God on earth. And we see this lived out in the rest of the book of Acts. Now the full title of the book of Acts is, is the Acts of the Apostles. But a lot of people argue that it really should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because this is where you really see the Holy Spirit working in and through and around God's people to spread the kingdom of God on earth. To spread the good news that God is with us. The good news that God has not abandoned us in this mess we've made his creation. The good news that all those who call on the name of Christ will be saved. And what a privilege, right? What a privilege and honor and incredible joy it is to join God in his work. I mean, think about this. The Holy Spirit is calling you to join him in ministry. Okay, frankly, to be perfectly frank, he doesn't need you. But he has given us a responsibility and a calling for us to follow him and to do the work of ministry. Now, this is incredible. I mean, think about this. So, uh, most of you don't know me but I've been into martial arts for a long time. Ever since the 80s, when I saw my first ninja, I've loved martial arts, okay? And I've been doing martial arts for over 20 years now. I'm getting old. Um, martial arts was my first love. I, I, loved, I knew martial arts before I knew Christ and before I knew my wife. So uh, I like martial arts, okay? So the Holy Spirit asking us to join with him in ministry is more incredible than one day there being a knock at my door and I open the door and Bruce Lee's standing there. And he's just like, I want to train with you. And then I'm just like, you got the right house? Yeah. Uh, no, Steve, I want to train with you. And like, well, there's a lot of people named Steve. I, I think you got the wrong Steve. I'm getting a little old. My shoulder's really killing me. No, no, Steve, listen, I'm going to train with you, and I'm, I'm in you, I'm with you, You're going to, I'm going to be right along with you, I'm going to train you, we're going to train some other people, it's going to be great, come on, let's go. I don't know, um, you know, I'm getting old. Listen, it doesn't matter, just come on, we're going to train, we're going to train others, it's going to be great. I'm not very good, listen, I was just a hobbyist, right? I mean, this is essentially what's happening, is the Holy Spirit in Christ has called us to work, and we're making all these excuses, right? We're saying, listen, I'm, I don't know my Bible very well. And God's saying, listen, I'm in you and I'm with you, right? And you're saying, oh, I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm too busy. No, I, I'm with you and I'm in you. And I, you know, I'm not very good. Well, listen, God the Son took care of that. So just shut up and come along with me, right? We got work to do. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. But scripture tells us we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can resist and rebel against the Holy Spirit. So we need to be a church that does what scripture tells us to do. We need to walk by the Spirit. We need to live by the Spirit. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. 
Paul tells us not to get drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. We're to be a people that are Holy Spirit drunk. We're to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And this means, as a church, that we have to align our will with the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan says this in his book, Forgotten God. He says, when, he, when it comes down to it, many of us do not really want to be led by the Holy Spirit, or more fundamentally, many of us don't want to be led by anyone other than ourselves. So if you say you want the Holy Spirit, you must first honestly ask yourself if you want to do his will. The truly startling thought is that by not submitting and totally trusting the Holy Spirit, I am not submitting to or trusting God. This is no small matter. We all have to answer the question, do I want to lead or be led by the Spirit? He wants us to know that his gift of the Holy Spirit is really not for our own pleasure or purpose. The Spirit is meant to lead us towards holiness. The Spirit is here with us to accomplish God's purposes, not ours. This church doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Christ, right? And Christ created this church to accomplish his purposes. And what a wonderful, beautiful privilege it is that Christ calls us to join with him in his work. If you belong to Christ, you're in the business of ministry, whether you realize it or not. I mean, you're, you're in working in ministry the moment you leave your home, right? A lot of, you're doing ministry in your home. You're doing ministry at your place of work. You're doing ministry in your neighborhood. You're doing ministry in your school. And we're all missionaries. You're a missionary the moment you step out your door. You're a missionary the moment you step into work or step on the golf course or the soccer field or into your book club. Uh, you're a missionary in your own home, maybe. Some of us are missionaries in our own families, right? God has given you gifts and talents and skills and passions to use for the kingdom of God. And if we quench the spirit, we, we quench the spirit by not using those gifts to bring glory to God. We cannot be a church that quenches the spirit by focusing on the wrong things, okay? We can't make secondary issues primary, uh, and we can't focus on the wrong kingdoms, right? It's not about the kingdom of Steve. It's not even about the kingdom of Old Bridge uh, Baptist, right? It's all about the kingdom of God. And we cannot be like the disciples. We can't be focused on the wrong kingdom. We can't be standing around staring up into the sky, right? I, I think, honestly, I think the Holy Spirit has something big planned for New Jersey. I think we've been through a period of testing and trial and pruning. And I think uh, it's time to align ourselves with the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's causing, calling us to do. I think it's time for us to get to work. Um, church so let me just pray for us Lord we love you we adore you we worship you Lord for what you've done for us that you've uh, died for us and redeemed us and sent your Holy Spirit into us Lord I thank you that the Holy Spirit testifies to us that we belong to you and is a seal of our eternal life, Lord. And I just thank you for this gift. I thank you that we know that God is with us and in us, Lord. God, we repent for the times we've made secondary things primary. We repent of being focused on the wrong kingdom, Lord. We repent of those times we just stood around with our hands in our pockets, 
Lord, we want to glorify you as a church, as individuals. We want to glorify you with our lives, Lord. So we ask you to empower us with your Holy Spirit, that you fill us and send us out to do the work for the kingdom of God that you've called us to do, Lord. We love you, God. We pray all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All glory to them. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support, and we hope you have a God-blessed day.